You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You are listening to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. It feels like it's been an eternity since we last took the air because we went live last week on a different night of the week, but we're back on our usual Wednesday night for those of you tuning in live. I am Anthony Cazenza, my partner in crime. Joining me, John Sheeran. John, how are things, my friend? You uh, you doing well? I'm doing well considering outside right now in the greater Cincinnati and really the entire oh, state of Ohio is looking pretty drab at the moment. Hmm. It's kind of weird because it's like like in a couple days it's going to be Memorial Day. It doesn't really feel like it from a weather standpoint and obviously just a, mor- a morale standpoint, but I think I think things are picking back up a little bit slowly and I don't know. It would be nice if the weather kind of reflected that a little bit. Was there was there some rain? Is that like I, some, some I saw something I think on Twitter about that. Obviously, I, believe, I don't. I don't live there, so I don't know. <laughs> I believe there was like a tropical storm that hit like North Carolina. Yeah. We're getting like the we're getting like the remnants of it, which is kind of how it goes in Cincinnati. I remember like ten years ago there was the the big tropical storm or even basically hurricane that hit Texas, and there were some parts of Cincinnati that lost power for a week with like the the residual weather from that. So it's always we're never we're we're rarely like the center of a tornado, and obviously hurricanes can't come near here, but. We're always at like the tail end of of the impact of those horrendous storms. So I guess the Midwest has some sort of advantages in protecting us from the absolute worst parts of it. So, well, we may uh, where I'm at, we may have a little more sunshine than you guys currently have. But it sounds like you guys, in terms of Ohio and the city of Cincinnati, have taken a few steps. I mean, I forgot to mention, like, Michigan's, like, flooding right now. Like, they're, right. They're, they had two dams that, like, broke up there, which is crazy. Just, like, got announced, like, today. So, I mean, I that's, that's that. another thing so as well. So, getting a lot of rain here. So, not 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 great. Yeah, we, we haven't been getting that where I'm at. But we have uh, – it sounds like your area is at least a little bit more uh, – Further down the path in terms of reopening things and things kind of opening back up, at least from what I can tell, uh, to the pleasure and chagrin of some, depending on uh, you know how you how you look at that. But um, anyway, we are back talking Bengals once again. Happy that all of you are with us, joining live and or listening to the to the show after the fact. You can always get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, the megaphone, megaphone platform, if that's how you prefer to listen to it. I believe I said Spotify, but if I did not, Spotify and all of our stuff is on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. So get the show how you can. We're pleased to keep bringing you Bengals coverage. We had a big month in terms of actually a big couple of months in March and April, and we are continuing to roll on, bringing you guests, bringing you podcasts. 
we're not stopping the momentum of this show we're, and uh, the other shows on the channel. So hopefully you stick with us because we're, we're going to keep plugging along. Tonight, it may be a, a tiny bit abbreviated as compared to some recent episodes. And we're going to talk a little bit of underrated slash underdogs. Uh, we may even play a little, uh, a little game here at the end of that. And then we will continue. John will will have the uh, the conductors one there and do the uh, nine for nine positional preview series that he has been spearheading. And we'll continue. And tonight we're going to be talking about the defensive line, the status of that group in 2020 and obviously going forward. So still a lot to get to tonight. We're gonna we're gonna get to that in just a second and again like i mentioned get to get the show how you can on any number of platforms we appreciate it for those of you joining us live you'll probably notice i think it's maybe in that corner there's a little icon now where it says you can just click on the our logo and subscribe to the channel so i i, I worked my wizard my youtube wizardry there so you can there's no excuses to not subscribe to our youtube channel now there's just a little button there you can click that and subscribe to our channel, get all of our videos, get the videos that Matt Minnick is putting out from Chalk Talk, and subscribe and get all that stuff and get notified when it's there. John, let's talk a little underdog slash underrated. Um, you know, there's kind of a theme week on the SB Nation channel of podcasts that kind of talking about underdogs and underrated. And I also saw a an article on NFL.com, I think it was by Cynthia Freeland, uh, talking about underrated players around the NFL, one guy for each team. Let's start with the back, going back a little bit. Looking in terms of your, if you want to go only recent history, that's fine. But what are like two or three names that you can really think of, not on the current team, but in the past, that you feel either when watching the game or, you know, when you've done your research on teams, maybe that were even taking the field before you were born, whatever the case may be, what are a, a, a couple of names and your reasons why, as you feel, these players may be underrated? And by the way, it may go against popular opinion if, if you want to do that. That is totally fine. So I'm going to start with one guy because he's getting mentioned in the comments section right now because he's actually behind my right shoulder and he's Leon Hall. Someone was asking who that was, and some people quickly came to the rescue and, and answered that. Leon Hall always stuck out to me when answering this question because I think it, it was the fact that he was drafted a year after Jonathan Joseph, and Joseph was more of the boundary guy who, you know, at the time was more highly valued because I think slot corners didn't, and we've talked about this before, slot corners weren't recognized for the value that, that, that they had until I think recent years. But, you know, I think we talk about Geno Atkins and being like the the first, or at least in the, in the from a modern sense, the first undersized three technique to revolutionize the importance of that position. You can almost make the same case for Leon Hall and just at, at the slot cornerback position. I think when answering this question, you have to look at, okay, who was really playing at the peak of the position but just wasn't getting noticed for it? And 2009, Leon Hall really stands out to me. Pro Football Focus had him as the fifth highest graded cornerback in, from a coverage grade perspective. And not only the fact that he had, I think, three or six interceptions that year, 15 passes broke up, broken up, allowed an endful pass rating of just 51 with only three penalties to his name, but also in run defense. I mean, 18 stops to only two missed tackles. It just an all-around great player at the peak of his career when he was only 25 years old. 
and he had a couple more seasons like that. Maybe not to, to that extent of being that elite, but he sustained a high level of play at a very difficult position or, or a position that was increasing in difficulty as offenses kind of evolved and utilized slot receivers more and more. So his job became harder and harder, but he lasted for you know several years at that spot up until the mid 2010s when overall the defense kind of degraded as he kind of regressed and ultimately left the team for, I believe, the Oakland Raiders. So he's the first guy that always comes to my mind because he was a legitimate Pro Bowl level talent that unfortunately was never honored with that recognition and obviously wasn't an all pro player or at least wasn't recognized in that sense either. But I think he's one of the more snubbed players from a national perspective when you when you talk about the Bengals. And on the offensive side of the ball, the guy I always think of is Clint Bowling. And we talked about Clint Bowling mm. a little bit um, uh, uh, yesterday when we, I was on DNH Sports when we were interviewing uh, Max Montoya. But um, like Montoya, or excuse me, Bowling, for eight years was just a rock at left guard. Didn't matter who was at center. If it was a aging and regressing Kyle Cook or just a terrible Russell Bodine, he was always just their rock. And when the offensive line was at its best from like those 2013 to 2015 years, he put back to back to back uh, PFF grades above 70, I believe. In 2013, he was like 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 the fifth highest graded left guard in the NFL. Just consistent in both phases of the game. You know, you never had to worry about him in the sense that you never had to worry about Andrew Wilworth at left tackle. Rarely penalized, rarely beaten. Just a solid overall player that didn't have this you know this incredible athleticism to his game or anything like that. His hands weren't exactly the strongest. Didn't have the greatest base. He didn't look like Marshall Yonda out there or or maybe a modern day Quinn Nelson. We just kind of got the job done. And for a fourth round pick to last for eight years, like he did as a solid starter from the first time he stepped on the field, that that, that player is rare for someone who's drafted in that area. And, and obviously, again, he wasn't a Pro Bowl player. He wasn't recognized as one of the better guys in this position. And honestly, he was like, I don't know what his agent was doing when he was negotiating his second contract, but the Bengals got him on, on the complete down low for you know five years, $25 million. And they continued to get solid play for him. I'm, I'm I was saddened when he announced his retirement because I knew that no matter how good or, you know, Michael Jordan could have possibly been in 2019 or whoever is going to be left guard, it was going to be a downgrade because that's what we knew of Clint Bowling. He was always at the very worst going to be average for you and entering the late part of his career. That was still mightily acceptable for the standards that he, that he had set. So those two guys are always the first thing comes to my mind when talking about, you know, guys that I grew up watching and who just never got the respect that I felt like they, that they deserved. Good calls on both of those. Bowling is interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people recognize that he was a solid player, a versatile player. He, he kicked out to tackle a couple times when he was, when they needed him in a pinch, um, you know, a, a, just a, a real coachable guy and a guy that just came in and did work and was always kind of at that above average-ish level. Um, and that was kind of his profile coming out of college. He was a guy who played like almost every spot on the, on the Georgia offensive line. He was a guy they wanted to move around a, a bit if they needed to. And they did. The thing is, is everybody looks at you kept bowling, but you let Zeitler walk, you know, and I, I, that's kind of the, 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 yeah, but with, with Clint bowling a little bit, it's nothing against Clint bowling. He can't help that. And I think that is why the Bengals were able to sign him for the contract that you mentioned because Zeitler was going to be too hefty of a price tag. They wanted to keep at least one of those guards. 
and they were able to do that with bowling. Um, so that that's an interesting one. Leon Hall, I, I agree, a guy that was a first-round pick. And this is another discussion we're going to have in just a second after I get to a couple of guys that I feel uh, were were underrated. And I'm going to try and, and uh, space mine out a little bit in terms of when they played, if I'm able. But the other part of the discussion I want to get to in just a second, John, is, you know, how do you define underrated? And I think, you know, can a first round pick be underrated? Yeah, I guess so. Because this first round pick at times played at Pro Bowl levels and did not make a, you know, he did not make a Pro Bowl. He he was kind of snubbed at times was overshadowed by Jonathan Joseph. So, um, you know, I I like those picks by you. Um, I've got a a couple. Um, One is kind of, I, I guess they'd go back a little bit before some of the guys that you mentioned. One is a guy that may not readily come to mind, but to me, he was kind of the coachable guy. And this is Kenny Watson, the running back of the mid-2000s for the Cincinnati Bengals. And the reason why I consider him underrated is because he's one of those guys that, came, that was always down on the depth chart. He was behind Rudy Johnson in his Pro Bowl years. He was behind Chris Perry because Chris Perry was a first-round pick. But you look at a guy who steps up in terms of injury. When injuries hit the team, look at 07. 763 yards, seven rushing touchdowns, uh, a f- 4.3 yards per carry average alongside. I mean, he, you see the scrimmage yards for the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1,137 and seven touchdowns. He also was a contributor on special teams. He was a guy that was a good outlet for Carson Palmer for a number of seasons. I mean, look at, look at the reception, you know, 25 catches, 23 catches. This is as a guy in 20, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, he was number three or so on the depth chart in terms of running backs. Uh, and, And not to mention the fact that he's getting, you know, 25, 23, 52 catches as a backup running back with an offense that sported guys like Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada, and uh, Chris Henry, others, right? So not only was he doing work on offense, and a lot of people kind of forget about him because he wasn't a Pro Bowl player, but just did a lot of different things. He did them well. He was a special teams guy. You look down here, he had some, some kick returns here again, not gaudy numbers there, but just a guy who did a lot of different things for you. Um, and I think a lot of people can also look at look at a Kenny Watson and maybe also think of a Cedric Pierman, maybe right, uh, same mm-hmm. same kind of guy. So to me, Kenny Watson kind of sprang to mind a bit as uh, a guy who was a little bit underrated. Another guy kind of of the same era, maybe the Leon Hollish era that kind of came to mind when we were developing this this segment was Andre Caldwell. And that's probably not going to be an, a popular one because everybody seems to remember the fumble against the then Oakland Raiders on a kickoff return in 2009 that he fumbled and cost the Bengals the game that they should have won. The Raiders were very poor that year, cost them playoff seeding, etc., some people remember some of the drops towards the end of his career 
that, uh, you know, really, I, I think if you look back, I think it was 2010, there were some drops that really kind of plagued him. But you, if you look back at that 2009 season, yeah, he had that fumble against Oakland that everybody remembers. He had two or three big games and clutch catches to help the Bengals win critical games in the AFC North and help them sweep the AFC North, which ultimately allowed them to go to the postseason that year after not a lot of people thought they were going to do that. So he was a guy, 40, 50 or so catches a year, 600 so yards per year, a handful of touchdowns, uh, you know, just a guy that made some plays here and there. And sometimes they were in very clutch situations. I, I guess I just feel like some people maybe unfairly piled on him towards the end of his career. And they kind of forgot some of the things that he did in the early to middle part of his career to really help the team. I want to I want to comment on those two guys, but real quick, we got a comment from from Chef two two five zero four. He's asking Brian Simmons, and if it's you a great guys, one. If, if you guys have listened to the show for the past year and a half, we've given Brian Simmons a lot of love when we talk about this. So we, we both are huge fans of Brian Simmons, and you know we, we obviously recognize the guy that he is. Watson, though, it's like I, I've I've thought about just the running backs in recent Cincinnati history when especially thinking about the, the situation that they're going to be dealing with Joe Mixon because they, they've never had to have this type of situation because they've gotten by with with running backs like Kenny Watson when I thought about other running backs like he didn't even come to mind I think that just speaks to him being underrated and kind of under recognized because when I think back I, I think about you know the, the guys who, that ran along with Cedric Benson along with Watson you had D.D. Dorsey Br- um, Br- Brian Leonard Bernard Scott you know, because they had guys like Chris Perry and Kenny Irons who never even took a snap, just not work out to be, you know, those those guys that they had to rely on. They had to go out and sign guys like Cedric Benson and Ben Jarvis Greenells because they just never found, you know, that one guy to, I guess, re- re- truly replace what Rudy Johnson was. But they've had success for, you know, the investment that they poured in with guys like Watson. And that's just been why they have they haven't been, you know, needed to, I guess, you know, bring in a, a top-tier bell cow. Now they have a different situation with, with Mixon, and they have to handle that accordingly. But I think that speaks to how underrated Watson was because even I kind of forgot about him until you mentioned him. And I remember, yeah, he was that guy that kind of ran along with Rudy towards the end of his career and kind of took some more snaps as, as they were phasing out and trying to get Chris Perry more involved with – um, uh, who, who's the other – I'm sorry, who's the other guy? Caldwell. There? Caldwell. Yeah, yeah when, you're talking about, when you're talking about Caldwell, I don't even remember – like his fumble against the Raiders. I only remember that touchdown against the Steelers. And I think he had one against the Ravens too. He did. In that 2009 season, that that catch over the middle in the end, I was at that game. And that's that's the one core memory that I have of Andre Caldwell. So I, I think it, it, it might vary based on fan to fan who you, who you talk to when you mention Andre Caldwell. But I only remember the good stuff about him because he was just a third round pick that I didn't really give much thought about. They already had good receivers on the roster. And I think he wasn't that productive at coming out of college at Florida. He was more of an, he was more of an older prospect, and he just had you know just okay athleticism. I think he was more of a speedster than anything. But I only think about the good stuff about Caldwell. Maybe that in my mind kind of overrates him to a certain extent because I only I don't think about you know the negatives or the drawbacks of, of or the lack of production in his career. But for what he was in, in the niche role that he had, I think that he was a, a very solid player. And, and I think it, when you look back at, at you know the history of the recent history of receivers of this team, he doesn't eclipse the value of guys like Marvin Jones and maybe Muhammad Sanu and guys like that. But, you know, for what they had and, and what they asked him to do, I think he did more than enough to, to earn, to earn his recognition here. 
Yeah, we're going to continue this on in a couple of different routes before we get to the nine for nine positional preview. I see Chris Higdon uh, saying Caldwell was a bum, LOL, USDA grade A bum. So that, I mean, that tells you the, the polarizing opinions on him. But Higdon did, uh, Chris Higdon did uh, say, show, we'll show this one, Bobby Williams there. So Bobby Williams is a very good call. I see another Nate Kane says Bernard Scott. Robert Obrecht, good friend of the show, says uh, Darnay Scott. I see Bernard Scott. I see uh, you mentioned Brian Simmons. Um, so, Ooh, Dan Scuda. Dan Scuda, yeah. Uh, you know, some of these guys are saying these guys are too young to know some of these guys to trust us. We, we know uh, quite a few guys. We're going a little bit closer to recent memory. There are a lot of different players that we could have gone with in terms of underrated from the past. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year, at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Now, that brings me to the second part of my discussion because many of these names that were brought up, John, a James Brooks, a Tim Crumry, Guys who made Pro Bowls, is it, in your opinion, do you think guys like that who made multiple Pro Bowls or maybe just one Pro Bowl, like in the case of Krumry, and were solid pros, got a little bit of recognition, can they still be viewed as underrated, in your opinion? Um, You know, I know that's totally kind of a subjective thing, but I don't know. How how do you kind of view that? I mean, because to me, I, I think of a guy like Jermaine Gresham. Maybe some view him as greatly overrated because he made a couple of Pro Bowls and there was a ton of drops and other issues. But he also has some of the highest numbers by a tight end on offense in Bengals history. So, you know, it's, you know, you got to come away all that stuff. It's relative to expectations based on who you thought the player was going to be coming into the league and who you thought that player had developed into, you know, a few years into the league, I think. Because there was people talking in the comment section about, you know, Andrew Rover should have made more Pro Bowls. So is he deemed underrated now, you know, however many years into his career? Um, should he have been recognized more prominently, even though there were still Joe Thomas and Jason Peters, you know, being dominant in the league at his position? Should he have gotten more recognition? Because we all know that he was one of the most, if not the most talented left tackle in the league at his absolute best in his prime. So even though he made Pro Bowls, you can still consider him, you know, kind of underrated. And obviously when you're talking about, like you mentioned before, first round picks, Leon Hall was a first round pick and he played like a first round pick, but he still wasn't, he still wasn't uh, a recipient of the national 
recognition and honors that he was deserving. So, and there's a multitude of reasons for that. The Bengals obviously didn't have a lot of prominent success beyond just a couple of division titles in his time. So he just, it was never that, that level of notoriety that other players of his level of play ended up getting. So I, th- I think at the end of the day, yeah, first round picks can still be underrated, even if they play to the level that um, th- they were expected to, because at the end of the day, if you look at, you know, who, who most people think the best players of these positions were, and you have guys like Whitworth and Hall and um, among others left, left off these lists, even though they were high draft picks, even though they ended up becoming talented players, at the end of the day, underrated is, is just a, a, a just a, an odd term in general. It not I don't think a lot of people have a clear definition of what that truly means. But if they aren't rated where they belong based off of pure merit and be, and because of a bunch of other subjective factors come in, I think that yes, players like them can be underrated. But it is nice to to give you know recognition to guys like Hallwell and guys like Kenny Watson, guys who weren't high draft picks, who weren't prominent starters, who just had roles to play and, and did them well. And therefore, they were under. They could be deemed undervalued, and therefore, I guess, underrated in a sense. Yeah, undervalued is a good designation for some of those. I mean, there's underrated, there's overrated, and there's undervalued. Right? Uh, one guy who I just think was criminally undervalued here was Garrison Hurst in the one year he was here. Uh, he they brought him in as a as a guy to because Kajana Carter just after his injury and and all kinds of different things just was not getting it done and they needed a guy and then Kajana Carter was relegated to being like a goal line back. And basically Hurst was the guy who would do all the work from 20 yard line to 20 yard line. And then, uh, you know, Kajana was the guy after that. So that's a guy to me, another kind of underrated or undervalued guy. I see a lot of good ones in here. Reggie Nelson by Crow snap one. Um, I see Peter Warwick by, by chef, uh, 22504. And that's a good one because in today's NFL, I think Peter Warwick would be an outstanding, outstanding player. Unfortunately, his role was they kind of tried to play him in the outside. He was more of a slot guy. And I think now with the emphasis on slot receivers, I think he would have been an excellent player in just a different generation. Personally, Eric Bieniemy, interesting one. Seeing a lot of Brian Leonard's too. Brian Leonard's my boy. Used to call him the white lightning. Love that guy. Uh, <laughs> He, so, he is the hero of white dads of Bengals fans, I think. Yep, yep, yep. So I, I love that guy. I love that guy. Uh, so let's let's go. By the way, the, the reason I also love the Brian Leonard deal, if you remember that, they traded for him. And I think one of the guys they traded for was a defensive lineman. His name is escaping me at the moment. They traded a defensive lineman to the Rams for Brian Leonard. The Rams ended up cutting that defensive lineman that same year. The Bengals got him back. I'll have to look up the name. I can't remember what it is. So wow. that it was like you got you traded for the guy, and then you got the guy back that you traded for him. It was like amazing. Um, so I, I want to I want to go here. There's a bunch of names that are coming up here that are good ones. Robert Gathers is another good one. Let's talk about the today's team. Who are some of the underappreciated, undervalued, underrated players uh, on this on this current Bengals team? I'm going to go back to the offensive line. And I'm going to give props to Trey Hopkins. I think because still he wasn't graded that highly from PFF this this past year, and that's one of the uh, I, I'm not too satisfied with, with their evaluation of how he played last year. I think he played a lot better than how they ended up grading him as. And I think it could have been a product of just the fact that the entire offense line was in disarray. And there were definitely times where he got beaten as well. But I, I still contend with the fact that he's a solid starter in the NFL at, at any of the three interior spots. And I think he just found himself at, 
at center when that role opened up because you know Bodine was trash and Billy Price ended up being just basically not any better. So it's just like, hey, we, we need we need so, we need some answer here. Billy Price is injured in his rookie year. Let's just give Trey Hopkins a chance. This is like the fourth position that he's played if you count the preseason for in these six years that he's that he's been here. And he was a, he was an okay guard, but he you know wasn't good enough to for them not to look in a different direction there. But when he took the field at center, it was just like they found something that they hadn't had since Kyle Cook. And I think he he's more than earned the contract that he that he signed this past December. And and it's it's refreshing to see them have an answer at at that position that they've been looking for for the better part of the last seven or eight years or so, and that they spent a first round pick in trying to find. So the fact that that situation at that position was so dire. And they found an answer in a guy that they've had for basically four or five years who played multiple positions besides that position and, and to just seamlessly transition into it so smoothly and to give them a skill set that they haven't had in, in so long. I think in, in, with all those factors, it makes him very underrated. And I think with better guard play next to him this upcoming year, I think you'll see you know people who watch the Bengals from a national perspective give him a little more credit for the work that he continues to do. Seeing a lot of good ones, you know, seeing a lot for Gio, Gio Bernard, Gio Bernard. Yes, I, I agree with that one. I think that's a good one because I've said on this show before, if you actually go back and look at the tape of Gio Bernard, it's not just the running and the receiving. It's also the pass protection. There was a tweet. I'll have to try and find it. There was a tweet that came out about the Bengals basically being the second highest team. It's the second they use their running backs the second highest amount of any team in the NFL essentially as pass blockers in pass blocking situations so kudos to Mixon and Bernard on that Bernard for especially for his stature is quite effective in that in that regard and some people look at maybe a slight decrease in some of his statistics in the past couple of seasons and wonder well he's getting older he's about it's some of that and it's also the rise of Joe Mixon but it's also the fact that when he's in there, it's a third down passing situation. It's an obvious passing situation and they put him back there to block quite frequently. So if you watch the tape, you'll see that. So I, I see geo, I see Sam Hubbard, uh, hard, hard to disagree with that. I know some people have differing opinions on Hubbard because of his, uh, some of the data and, and PFF scores, et cetera, behind him. I think, I think he's more solid than spectacular. So I think in some areas he's underrated. Um, in other areas, I think he's, um, you know, pretty on par in terms of expectations, I guess. Uh, one guy, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw this out. And again, I, this may be in another a popular one, but, you know, I, I think... I, I think we're if you look at Trey Waynes, because a lot of people don't like the contract he signed and the value that he signed it for. And, and I think the Bengals got a little bit, if you look at some of the, the things that have been put out there in terms of opinion on that signing, I, I think that, you know, they're, they're kind of saying, oh, you're basically getting a, a little bit of a, maybe a guy who's exactly like Drake or Patrick, potentially a little bit, a little bit better. I, I don't know. I, I think that this is going to be a move that, I don't want to say significantly improves the defense, but I think there's going to be a measured improvement with Waynes as a corner. And I think you're, you're, uh, my prediction is that you're going to not really worry about this lofty contract that they signed a guy to that has kind of had a little bit of a roller coaster of a career. He had a 65.1 overall pro football focus score last year. That's okay. Uh, you know, I, 
I just, I guess I see a lot of people piling on that player as, and the contract that the Bengals signed him to. And I think that, I think that they're maybe placing, uh, I don't know if you want to call it too much blame or whatever. I, I just, I feel like that is a, a little bit of an underrated signing for this team, even though it's a high profile signing, I think it's going to, to make a pretty big impact on this team. I think it, I think it's interesting how you mentioned like Wayne's contract, which affects the perception of who he is as a player. And I think that's kind of what fans, or at least some portion of the fan base, thinks about Giovanni Bernard and how he was given not one but two multi-year extensions that pay him at least in the upper the upper half of what would be starting running back contracts in the NFL. He just as and he just isn't used like that because they they have a, a guy in Joe Mixon who they like to use more. But I think that's an interesting point to make about him with Wayne's. It, the contract is a part of it because at the end of the day, you, you look at who he was in Minnesota and the likelihood of him becoming a better player than, than that. And then you look at that contract and you're thinking that something, something here just doesn't add up. And the fact that they're paying him more than they would have paid Drake Patrick for the, for the remainder of his deal. It's a risk, but I, I do agree that he does some things better than, than Kirkpatrick. People love to point out that he's just a better run defender. He's a better tackler. He's a more physical player. And that was definitely a, a message that the coaching staff and front office was trying to make with this offseason and just the revamping of veteran leadership and veteran presence on the defense. At the end of the day, how he does in coverage is ultimately what's going to define him and the perception of him from this fan base. Because if he continues to get burned in similar situations that Jager Patrick did, like he's going to have the same stigma attached to him as Dre did for the past three or four years, ever since you know his, his one, one or two good starting years in the league. So it's possible that Wayne's um, improves as a player and continues to develop because he is a little bit younger. But ultimately, the things that he does well, while they are better than Kirkpatrick in some areas, they're just not the areas that's ultimately what's going to define him. So it's 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 it is a risk. It's projecting him to be better in the most important areas. But I do agree to you for a certain extent that, you know, all, all it is has been primarily negative when looking at him when he does do some things positive. And it is possible that he does blossom into a better player than he was in Minnesota in a, in a more uh, a better environment for his, his skill set. Yeah, Keith Lakes on the live Facebook says, what was Drake Kirkpatrick's PFF score last year? Looks like it was 61.7, so a few ticks below what Trey Waynes had. And remember, Drake Kirkpatrick missed some time with an injury. He landed up on injured reserve towards the end of the year. So, um, you know, younger, potentially a little faster. The thing is, John, before we move on to uh, our next segment, which is actually, I didn't tease it at the beginning. It's going to be a soundbite of the week. It's going to be a brief one, but pretty good one. Uh, before we get to that, you know, the, the one thing kind of piggybacking on your point about Trey Waynes, I, I think where you're going to see the, the big improvement is, yeah, I think you're still going to see some of the getting burned deep and, you know, biting on a double move, that sort of thing that we've become accustomed to the penalties, maybe even that we've become accustomed to with Drake Kirkpatrick. I think where the big difference is going to be is going to be limiting third down passing, limiting drives to be extended because of that sure tackling ability. And, you know, if he may bite on a double move, but if they're short routes, you know, he's pretty much right around the ball. So, you know, I think in some of that getting off the field type of type of play, 
what the Bengals have been lacking the past couple of years on defense. I think that's where you're going to see some of the improvement. I would, I would agree. And and again, I think Wayne's is, is solid. And I think his coverage rate is also just slightly barely above Kirkpatrick. And ultimately they're very similar players. That, that's if you just go into the season with that, with that knowledge, I think your expectations of Wayne's is going to be correct. And yeah, if he does get burned a few times, that's just that's just the nature of the position, and that's going to happen regardless of how good or, or bad the player is. And that's why I think Kirkpatrick has been kind of the the I'm not sure what, what the term is for, but he got a lot of unnecessary hate at, at times, even though he was just a solid player at the position. And that's going to happen to Wayne's. And I think it's just up to us to recognize that that's the nature of of a position that's as tough as cornerback. It's not always going to be pretty, but at the end of the day, yeah, I, I do think that he does do some things better and he has the the capacity to improve and be eventually be worth that contract. Yeah. And it might be, you know, the, uh, the parts as, you know, uh, a part of a whole, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that, you know, that might be, that might be where we see some improvement and, you know, some people are saying, you know, how, how my, how many millions is that worth in terms of maybe what seems like a marginal improvement? Well, he's younger and a lot of people complained about the Drake or Patrick contract. The Bengals got out of it and uh, they tied money up into a guy who's younger and potentially looks like an upgrade, even if it's a marginal one. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We've been talking about underdogs, underrated players, at least in recent memory for the Cincinnati Bengals. We've got a lot of good feedback from many of you, in the live chat, some good names that you brought up. Appreciate all of the feedback and letting us know either how right we are, how wrong we are. We love both, so appreciate that. Get the show how you can. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone. Get it on YouTube. All of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. And, of course, iHeartRadio is another platform we are on. So get the show how you can. Join us live when you can. Subscribe to our channels so that you can get the show after the fact if you're unable to join us live. Well, it's time for a soundbite of the week. And John, uh, we had the pleasure of a couple of weeks ago speaking to this young man on our on our program, rookie linebacker Marcus Bailey. Uh, for those of you who have not seen this, it's just a goofy little thing. It's not, you know, sometimes we've been promoting some serious ones out of Mel Kuyper Jr. and the state of the Bengals and Joe Burrow. This is just a goofy thing. Um, so we hope you like this. This is... A TikTok. I don't have TikTok personally, John. I'm uh, shocked at that. Yeah, I, I I don't do that stuff. But uh, so it's a TikTok video, I guess, that came from Marcus Bailey's uh, personal account. It, it was just kind of a funny deal. So take a minute, enjoy this, and we'll share it here in just a second. But I guess it's him. I don't know if this is a, a pre. I it kind of seems like a rehearsed thing, right? Uh, that he was maybe celebrating with his family on. Most on of them are, yeah. Yeah, I, I would think so because you got to set up the the camera angles and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty funny. Uh, and so enjoy this here. Where I'm going to share it with you. This is courtesy of Bobby Reagan on Twitter. Uh, so we're going to play this for you right now. Hopefully, you can see this. <laughs> And so do I. 
So I guess I shouldn't have called it really a soundbite of the week, unless you're unless you're a gigantic Rick Astley fan, then it is a soundbite of the week. But it's more of a video clip of the week, multimedia clip of the week. Pretty funny stuff, though. I mean, he's he's celebrating, he's bopping around. I thought it was kind of cool, making making light of the situation. Especially John, remember when he said like how he seemed pretty devastated about how the draft played out for him in terms of when he was picked. Mm-hmm. Um, the ingenuity to use the song that's only used in ironic situations or just for trolling purposes. The ingenuity to use that song, which is honestly kind of a bob when you think about it, for just the, a pure genuine purpose. I think is a little underrated in that sense. I'm personally not a big TikTok guy. Um, Yeah, you are. I think think it's a a feeble attempt to recreate the magic that Vine was. Uh, My girlfriend might be a little upset that I said that, but ultimately, just let the guy do what he wants. Because I think I think the the Regan guy who like works for Barstool, he was like like making fun of him. Like if he gets cut, that's the reason why. Like like come on, like it was it was a special moment for him. That's just how he wanted to express it. So. Whether you like it or not, just, just just let the guy do what he wants. Like we obviously know him as as a good kid, as a good guy, a very a very personal and humble human being. So uh, good good for him. Good way for him to to express that special moment in such a special such a unique circumstances. So I, I got to laugh at it. It was cool. I can't believe people are giving him crap about it. I just I kind of thought it was yeah, just yeah, like it, a- it's it's cringe, but it, it's designed to be cringe. That's the whole purpose of the app. It's just to create that kind of content. Right. If it suits you, it does. If it doesn't, then whatever just you know just go go about your day yeah uh so in case this 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 sound bite of the week quote unquote this one is uh, for those of you who listen to the audio podcast you may want to go to the youtube channel to be able to see the video to it or check it out on twitter it's it's gone around quite a bit but uh it's more of a video video clip than sound clip but uh, he's he's got some moves he's showing off some moves scooting out to the balcony and uh it was it was pretty cool i thought uh Funny stuff, though, and and if you haven't had the chance to check out our interview with Marcus Bailey, that was a couple of weeks ago. Great guy, great head on his shoulders. The guy just completed a master's degree as well. Um, we noted in the interview, John, the Bengals have made an emphasis for not only high football IQ guys, but high character guys, and obviously this guy seems like it. Aside from the, the goofing around here, he seems like a, a really high character, high character guy and a guy that's uh, you know got a good head on his shoulders. I wonder how many players are also have TikTok accounts and like also frequently create content because I think there's an opportunity for him for there though. I don't know. That might be the, like the evolution of like the rookie showcase. Like who can create the best TikTok? There you go. They, they may be forced to if they're not able to right, exactly. do a lot of stuff in person. So you, you might be right. <laughs> All right. But good stuff from Marcus Bailey. Check it out either on our uh, – if, if you need to rewatch, check it out on our video feed or check it out on, on Twitter. It's it's pretty good stuff. And if, for those of you who like little 80s synth pop Rick Astley, it's, uh, it's full of it in that little clip. <laughs> All right. So we are now going to transition to the third part of our 9 for 9 series. This is just a weekly series where we go over a certain position group over the ins and outs of the guys that we expect to make the team expect to play the most and maybe some with the theme of the show some underrated guys guys who are going under the radar who may end up stealing a roster spot here and there so last two weeks we've gone over the linebackers and then the offensive linemen which is arguably the two most critical position groups for this current Bengals team right now we're going to we're going to go back to the the defensive side of the ball and we're going to go with the guys who are going to be playing in front of Marcus Bailey 
on the defensive line. Anthony, there is 11 guys who made this position group last year by far the most stacked or at least crowded position group that made the 2019 final roster. And it was in part because there was a lot of worthy guys worthy to worthy to make the roster, but also just because that, that was just where the strength of the defense was because they just didn't have any linebackers to, to fill out a, a normal amount of spots for that ro- position group. So they just basically put it, put 11 guys on, on the defensive line. And that's, that's including eventually cutting Jordan Willis, who they drafted a couple years prior. So a lot of new guys kind of, you know, ultimately made up that position group, including I think Kerry Wynn, he only played like eight or so snaps. So maybe not 11 guys make the team this year, but I still think that this position group is amongst, you know, one of the strongest or at least the deepest on the team. But it's also one where we always tend to overrate coming out of training camp and out of the preseason because it, it it's the same thing every year where we see the first handful of practices at training camp and we're thinking, this defense line is going to do a lot of good good things this year because they're going up against an offensive line that's continually been amongst the bottom of the league. And we see guys guys like Sam Hubbard and you know guys like you know the, the, the three techniques that have been playing next to Geno Atkins. We we think they overachieve right right before the season starts, and then they just become you know average to non-factors when the season begins. And then we think to ourselves, okay, this position group is just not as deep as we thought it was. That could change this year based off the additions that they made based off of the, the, the developments that continue to, to grow with the guys that make up this position group. So I think the biggest question here right now is that what really looks, what really is the base of this group? Because last season they transitioned into more of a three, four look where they have essentially five defensive linemen out there. But for the most part, this defense still utilizes just four down linemen and with two linebackers behind them. So I think the, the best place to start here is that, it's not necessarily who's the starting four or five, but which personnel grouping should we expect to see more out there, or at least more often when, when the game is in the early stages of, of the afternoon, I guess. To go back to your first point about how the Bengals defensive line looks, always seems to look so great, uh, and part of it is because of the offensive line issue. I, I totally agree with that. The other thing that <laughs> the other reason why they look so great is oftentimes in the preseason games and against uh, at certain points, the Bengals opposing offense and practices, they're going up against vanilla offenses. They're going up against backup quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of plays into this, the hype up of the the defensive line. Now to your question in terms of who will we see more of, whether I, I don't know if you're more referencing, you know, a guy who has a defensive end designation as opposed to a defensive tackle designation. I'm going to keep kind of falling back on this reasoning that I've used so far with a couple of other position groups. And that's versatility. I mean, you have a guy like Andrew Brown on the team who is listed as a defensive end, but we all know he was kind of a, a three-tech defensive tackle coming out of Virginia when the Bengals drafted him, one of those penetrating inside guys, and now they feel that they can move him around to different spots on the line. I think that you look at other guys, I think they want to move around Rennell Wren. They want to move him into different spots. So that's another guy that you kind of feel like could be a movable piece. Sam Hubbard, they've dropped into coverage at times. Uh, Carl Lawson's, you know, kind of your, your edge guy. Initially, Marvin Lewis gave him the old outside linebacker designation when he first joined the team. But, you know, I, I think the key is 
in terms of what we're going to see and who we're going to see, I think you're going to see guys that have provide versatility in terms of moving them around on the defensive line. And the other thing, John, you mentioned, you know, what is more of a base look or whatever. The, the thing is, and I think it's a good thing, is that the Bengals, based on who they've collected, especially in this position group, are able to mix up their looks frequently, frequently, frequently. They're able to do a lot of different things, not only because of who they've collected on the defensive line, but some of these new guys at, in the linebacker group. They're able to mix up their looks. So I don't know that I have a true answer for you in terms of we're going to see this almost, you know, 60% of the time, and that's what it's going to be. You're going to see a lot of Dunlap. You're going to see a lot of Atkins. You're going to see a lot of early down stuff from DJ Reader. But there's 13 or 14 guys I'm counting with defensive end, defensive tackle designations on this roster right now. So I think you're going to see a lot of movement up there and a lot of guys that, that are uh, can provide versatility and move into different spots. There's just a lot to, to dive into this, but I think – if there is just four guys who I expect to be out there for just like on first and second down, you, you have Dunlap, you have Atkins, you have Hubbard on the other side. And then the addition of DJ reader makes things very interesting for a multitude of reasons, because well, for starters, guys like Dunlap and, and, and Hubbard, I don't consider them defensive ends anymore. I just consider them edges because, you know, like you said, with went in the, in the Marvin Lewis days, you had a guy, who could be an outside linebacker, but also an edge rusher off the edge. This defense will, will have guys, you know, just be pure multi-dimensional edge defenders, guys who can drop back into coverage, guys who can rush off a two-point stance, guys who can have their hands in the dirt. That's something that Hubbard's very comfortable with. That's something that Lawson has the perfect body type for, and that's something that Dunlap is still athletic enough to do. With the addition of Reader, though, it's interesting because at, at his core, he's a, he's a one-tech. He's a one-tech who can also rush in the B gap as a three tech, but can also go up against, you know, the outside shoulder of a tackle as a five technique when you're in those odd fronts. But at its core, he's going to be next to Atkins on the strong side of the formation as your nose tackle, as your one tech. That I think op opens up opportunities for other guys who are more role players. What does that mean for Josh Tupo? Does he just become your backup nose tackle, your backup one tech to reader? Do you keep him more at five tech where he kind of, had a little bit of a, of, a, of a resurgence last year in that position. Does that mean that Andrew Brown becomes your a full-time edge defender, or do, do you put him back into his more comfortable spot at 5-tech while you have Tupo backing up Reader? I think the, the addition of Reader is going to make things a lot easier for these guys, but it's also going to create more opportunities for guys to play more to their strengths. And just the overall competition at that 5-technique spot, a spot that we didn't think was really that much in that, that really held any importance for this defense coming into last year because we didn't know that they were going to have this this transition and this this evolution of what their defensive front looks like. I think right now they have three guys in Tupo, Brown, and Rennell Wren, who might just be the most talented out of out of those three guys, at least with the most upside because of his age. The guys who have the body types and the athleticisms and the pure strength to hold their own at this position that's going to it's going to have a lot of competition. It's going to have a lot of importance because you're playing next to an edge rusher in either Lawson or Hubbard, and you're playing next to uh, either a defense tackle in Atkins and Tupo. You got to hold your ground at that five technique spot. You got to, you know, you, you got to be able to stand up against double teams, against tackle guard combo blocks to to free up those linebackers behind you. So, you know, who who really takes that spot? I think is going to be interesting because now you have a definite answer at the one technique spot where you give it gives opportunities for guys like Tupo. And uh, we're now ready to, to thrive in multiple other positions. So, 
By the way, we have a special guest in the live YouTube chat, Engraven Vids, Justin from Engraven Vids, who joined us last week to help us preview what's going on with the Ravens, uh, is in our live YouTube chat or was. So what's up, Justin? And he left a, a pretty a pretty good comment in terms of you can have some nice rotations. And I, I, th that's true. The thing is that I'm going to contradict myself here because you brought up Tupo, you brought up Ren, you brought up Reader. The, the, the thing is, I kept talking about versatility, versatility, versatility. You know, in years past, the Bengals may have maybe lesser valued one of those one or two down, you know, gap-stopping, run-stopping defensive tackles. This year, though, because of a team like the Ravens that wants to run the ball a lot, the Steelers always like to run the ball no matter how much they throw the ball. They always like to run the football. The Browns have Nick Chubb. I mean, these these guys now, these big guys, these run-stopping specialists are going to have a place on this team and are going to be used, I would think, frequently, especially in these AFC North matchups. I mean, that's 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 comprises more than a third of your schedule, and that's what you brought these guys here for, whether it's a reader this year, Tupo a couple of years ago. I mean, that, that's what you need these guys for. So while versatility – is something that is to be valued along the defensive line. These run-stopping guys, they got gouged by the run last year, and they need these big guys to come in and be able to stop some of these potent running attacks, especially in the division. That's important for for those obvious reasons because it was so bad last year. And like it, it, The value of stopping the run, I think, has superseded what its true value is because of how terrible they were last year. I think with the, the addition of Reader and just the overall depth that they have in the interior, I think it's going to be, they're, they're going to be better in, in that stance. But once you get back to just a, a passable level of run defense, rushing the passer is just simply more important. And that's, that's where, that's where my worries here, because I think you're going to have a fresher Geno Atkins who's going to be rotated in and out more with the addition of Reader. And now you have some, some depth there as long as, you know, guys like Ryan Glasgow can stay healthy, who can, you know, rotating and now at that three taking spot the, the the edge the edge position worries me because i think we have someone in the comment section say don't sleep on the the notre dame defensive end mm -hmm. talking about khalid, khalid kareem kareem as a fifth round pick is immediately thrusted into this rotation as your essentially your fourth defensive end or fourth edge rusher because at the end of the day i think right now andrew brown's still listed as an edge but i don't think that's where you would like him to to win most of the time i think you still want him as that 34 defensive end or that five technique, or even just as a three technique to rotate in with Atkins. So right, right now, Khalid Kareem is not only just a, a key, you know, rotational guy at edge, but he's also just ultimately one of the most important guys from the future of this position group, because you think about Lawson's entering a contract year and he hasn't, you know, exceeded the expectations that he set back in his rookie year. Sam Hubbard's entering his third year, but he's still, you're still looking for that jump from, from just an average, to blow average pass rusher to a guy that you can rely on in some of those obvious passing down situations. And then you have Carlos Dunlap who had a monstrous year last year, but before the, the last eight weeks of the year, he was looking like a guy who was slowing down and potentially yeah. Yeah, could have been on the trade block. So how long can he sustain that? I think the future depth and the future um, effectiveness of this edge group is very much questionable. And how are they going to be able to, to sustain that level of success into this year is going to be, one of the bigger question marks. And if Khalid Kareem can come in and, and be a, a solid rotational edge rusher for a fifth round pick, I think that will do wonders for them. But there's a lot of pressure on him to, to be just that because 
that was the only addition that they brought in at that position aside from undrafted uh, edge rusher Kendall Futrell, who I think Jeff Hobson mentioned as a guy who could make some noise in, in training camp preseason, whatever that could be. But they need a spark on the edge on as an at edge rusher. And if, if that happens to be Lawson entering a contract year, so be it. That would be a major boost for them. But as of right now, for what they have and what they've been able to produce the past couple of years, it can't all be on Dunlap because at this point, when he's 31 years old this year, it, it's going to be hard for him to sustain that level of success that he had last year. So I, that's where I want to go next, and I don't want, I'm not trying to hijack your segment, but that that is the question I I have when we talked about doing the defensive line this week. The question I have is, you know, if, it seems like for the last I don't know two years, three years, we kind of have been saying, okay, when does the shoe when does the other shoe drop when it comes to Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins? We thought we saw a little bit of it at the beginning of last year, some inconsistencies with Gino, some a real dry spell to begin the year with Carlos Dunlap, but then he exploded uh, as he sometimes tends to do at the end of the season. You know, do, do we need to worry about that this year or have they done enough? Have they brought in enough? Khalid Kareem, DJ Reader, Ryan Glasgow back healthy, who, you know, whatever it may be, did they do enough to be able to keep those two guys fresh and hopefully more effective through on a consistent basis throughout the year? Uh, ultimately, I, I, if, if, if you're comparing just your pass rushing talent and your pass coverage talent, it's, it's better to have problems from a, from a talent perspective at edge rusher and pass rusher in general, because you can scheme, pressures more easily than you can scheme good coverage ultimately it's it's just up to the talent level of, of your cornerbacks and your safeties to have good coverage with, with your pass rushers it, it, it a lot of that pressure is also on the defense coordinator and the play caller to scheme up pressures for these guys because that's a lot easier to just manufacture from just a schematic perspective and a coaching perspective with Dunlap oh like he's not he's not going to be young forever he's not gonna be athletic forever eventually it is going to fall on him to you know it's, it's going to fall on the Bengals to, to find an answer beyond him I think they can count on at least one more solid year from him but how much he's kept fresh throughout this year is going to be crucial because I don't think they want what happened to, to Atkins last year to happen to Dunlap this year in case he doesn't have that monster second half like he did last year it's it's so important for Lawson to have a great contract year and for Hubbard to essentially have a contract year in itself because I think they would like to have him extended after this year because this is his third year and he can be he can be eligible for an extension and starting in 2021 along with Jesse Bates. So if those two you know develop into the edge that they need them to be, I would feel a lot more better about this position group moving forward because right now, just based off what we know about those guys and what they have done or, or lack of what they've done, it's just not looking great. And it, I, I just don't think Khalid Kareem is, is all – that they needed to do at this position group. And it's, it's why that like, you know, if they didn't, if they already had a quarterback like Joe Burrow, like Chase Young would have been an intriguing option for these exact purposes. They need bodies at that position group. That's why like the, the addition of, you know, carry win last year just wasn't enough. And ultimately he just didn't play. And they, they hurt last year because the other guys just didn't step up when they needed to. And eventually it was all on Dunlap to basically, you know, carry the production load at, at that position, but you can scheme pressures to a certain extent, but it also still takes a certain level of talent. That's just, that's where the, the, the continued development of Hubbard and Lawson come into play. Yeah. The team flirted with Chris Smith, 
who ended up going to Carolina and who previously played for the Bengals and the Browns. They flirted with Derek Wolf. We, we've said this before. They, they brought in Shaq Barrett for a visit last year. He ended up having an explosive. So they're, I mean, they, they are looking for additional help. They brought in only Kareem. Now that's not to say he can't be effective, but he's a guy they like. Um, but that is really to this point, the only real kind of edge threat after flirting with all these guys that they brought in in either the draft or free agency this year. So that's kind of interesting. The only other name out there, and I think this is a pipe dream, especially if, if for those who are, you know, that are saying that Larry Warford's too expensive. Um, you know, Jadavian Clowney's still out there unsigned. I mean, it's a guy that uh, he's had some peaks and valleys in his career. He may be a little too pricey. That is a potential option if things go awry up front. I don't see that happening. But, um, you know, for the most part, this is the group they're going to probably be rolling with. And then uh, what, what, what do you think they keep, 10? 10 seems about right, like maybe nine on, on the low end. But you have, obviously, Atkins, Dunlap, Reeder, Lawson, Tupo, Hubbard, Glasgow, Wren. So that's eight right there that you're pretty confident in. And then nine and 10 could be Andrew Brown and Khalid Kareem. So if it, if if it's 10, I think those are the 10. If it's nine, I think you take out Brown in that, in that sense because – yeah, that's four edge rushers and five interior guys, but the addition of Brown gives you basically half edge, half interior guy who can also be your five tech. But, you know, there's guy like Tyler Clark, the undrafted guy from Georgia. I think he has the highest signing bonus out of all these college creations. Mm-hmm. Trey, Desha- Trey Deshaun out of Kansas State is also an intriguing guy, defensive tackle. There's, there's always one or two surprises from their undrafted class that end up making some waves. And if they – end up going 11 uh, again. I think one of those guys has a chance, but Kendall Futrell, you know, an, an undersized edge rusher who can also play off ball linebacker. If they decide that they need more of a, of a, of a juice and a burst at edge, I think he has a good chance of, of, of being that guy who may not be active on game days, but if they need more depth there and maybe if someone suffers injury, I think he can kind of s- squeeze his way into there. Yep. And, you know, the team, the team's going to look at other pass rushing options too. Whether that, you know, Davis Gaither had a, a, a good pass rushing grade as as a player in college. That's a guy they could look at in pass rushing situations and others. So maybe that's where they consolidate some of the numbers to get down to less than what they were last year, which you mentioned was eleven. Um, I just I don't know, especially with drafting three linebackers. I don't I don't see that. As, as a realistic possibility this year. They went real light on linebackers too last year, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. So I, I think that there's going to be a little bit of a numbers game there. But uh, good stuff, John. What have we done so far, just to recap on the 9 for 9? So we started with linebackers, then we went offensive linemen, then we, go, and then we just went defensive linemen. Three down, six to go. Cool. Well, great stuff from you. Uh We've got six more position groups to go. We're going to cover those uh, each consecutive week here. So uh, the brainchild of, of John Sharon this series, and it's a, it's a good one. It's a, it's a deep dive into the position groups, and we see a lot of feedback in the live chat as well. So thanks for your feedback. We're going to get out of here in just a second before we do. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, in case you're new to it. Uh, we are part of Cincy Jungle and the SB Nation National Podcast Network, along with a number of other podcasts on our channel, Orange is the New Black, Sorry If I Spit When I Speak, and Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. 
are all part of the channel along with our show. So get our show, get those shows on a number of different platforms. You got to subscribe to it, whether it's through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or YouTube. Subscribe to the channels. That way you know when new stuff is available, when we go live. And as I mentioned for the YouTube uh, folks, I think it's right around in here. It's probably actually the other side of the screen. I don't know. But there's a little icon that has our logo that we've just added to the YouTube videos. So you can click on that, hit subscribe. We appreciate it. The guys, by the way, in the network, including my colleague here, he had a recent interview with Hoji Smoji and Daddy O. McDuke with Bengals former great Max Montoya, who was mentioned earlier in the program by a lot of our listeners. So go check out that interview. Matt Minnick just had a sit down interview, an audio interview with Dan Horde, the voice of the Bengals, the radio voice of the Bengals, and part they're part of uh, his podcast with Bengals.com, Dave Lapham. So really cool stuff there. We talked about Khalid Kareem a guy that Orange is the New Black has recently interviewed along with TJ Hushmanzada, Willie Anderson on their show. We brought up Marcus Bailey just a, a little bit ago on our show. He joined us a couple of weeks ago. So we've got a lot of things going on our show and on the other shows. So go check out all that stuff. A lot of good content. John, let's drop the mic and get out of here, my friend. What you got for us? Uh, like we mentioned at the top of the program, it is Memorial Day weekend in Ohio, at least it's when, uh, restaurants and bars will begin serving in in-house dining and services. If you are going to be out this weekend, please do responsibly. And I'm going to go follow Marcus Bailey on TikTok now. <laughs> Marcus Bailey is uh, becoming quite the the social media sensation after this uh, this Rick Astley venture that he put out on TikTok. Good stuff. Uh, I don't really have all that much. I mean, I guess I've got uh, a little bit of news uh, for some folks. Um, my my wife is expecting our second child, so I've got another one on the way. Yeah, You're gonna drop in uh, like so casually. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. Uh, yeah, she's about two and a half months or so along. So uh, no, nothing like having a children of the corn, right? Uh, perfect timing on our part. But uh, yeah, uh, that's just kind of some personal news. I don't really have much on the Bengals front in terms of what we usually do to drop the mic. But yeah. I uh, don't know the gender yet. That's just uh that's not that's not dropping the mic, that's slamming the mic into the earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh I wasn't gonna share it, but then I was like, well, I don't have much else to share, so I guess I'll share that. Um yeah. So excited, a little nervous based on everything that's been going on so far in 2020. Uh due date is around Thanksgiving. So yeah. Yeah. Congrats, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to see how my other guy is uh gonna handle. <laughs> having another another sibling will be interesting but yeah thanks for some kind words in there in the live chat too guys so yeah big news in my household uh trying to keep it together in terms of the sanity level but we're doing we're doing okay based on the news and everything <laughs> unreal guys he doesn't tell me like i i just found out as soon as you not many it. people know not many people know to be honest with you kind of our our, our <laughs> families and uh a little bit of inner inner circle of friends so because John and our podcast listeners are part of our inner circle, um, we're we're sharing that. So we just don't know the gender or anything yet. Yeah, are you, you going to have an, an awkward gender review? Uh, <laughs> my wife wants to do that. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> not. I mean, not awkward. Probably just like a. I, I, I mean, awkward because I just saw like this guy. Like he was supposed to like hit the baseball 
to like reveal the color and you like whiff three times. Yeah, that's. I mean, well, first of all, if you knew how I could hit a baseball, that wouldn't happen. No, oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but we're, yeah, I'm not doing that crap. Uh, at, at, a, at, at most, it would be like a cutting into a cake and fig- I don't know, something. I don't know. She's got something planned. I know. Who knows? It's not my thing. But um, yeah, so that's kind of some news that I've been sitting upon <laughs> the past couple of, of months. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Well, with that, let's get on out of here. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Thanks for listening. Get it? How? But get the show how you can. We appreciate the support. Thanks for being We'll be bringing you more content, our show, and the other shows I mentioned. We'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.